0: In your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1 in Ephesians chapter 1 and also in chapter 3 we have two spirit inspired prayers They're spirit ordained prayers They're prayers that are good just as good for today as they were when Paul was impressed by the Holy Ghost to pray them so let's start in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 Paul said wherefore I also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So this is a prayer that you can pray again and again and again. If he ceases not to pray for them, then it's something he's praying over and over again for them. So I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Other translations say the eyes of your spirit being enlightened that you may know, here's the, there are three things he's praying for them, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion And every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and has put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Look with me now to chapter 3. We'll start reading in verse 14. Paul said, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Folks, I would submit to you that if we are operating with the results of those three prayers, those two prayers, the things that, that Paul is inspired by the Holy Ghost to pray for us, there would never be a need in your life or any need that you did have would be filled. I want you to realize that Paul is praying, and again, I can't overemphasize the fact that the Holy Ghost is impressing Paul to pray this. This is therefore something that God wants for you and me. This is something that God has given us a means whereby we can take hold of these things. These are prayers of authority. These are prayers of revelation of who we are in Christ and what we can have, and also the power of God that has been delivered to us. Now in Ephesians chapter, the prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, did you notice that he's talking about the the power that works in us as believers? He prays three things. He prays, first of all, that God would open the eyes of our understanding to know these three things, to know the hope of his calling. In other words, what God has specifically for you to do. I don't believe that this hope of his calling is a generic thing for everybody because if it was, the Holy Ghost would have just inspired Paul to to tell us what it was. The hope of his calling, if it's different for you and me, and it seems like that it would be something that's different for you and me because each one of us have a specific gift or gifts, different things that we're called to, places to stand in the kingdom of God and in the local church body. If we know what is the hope of his calling, that has to mean that the Holy Ghost is ha- is praying or inspiring Paul to pray, wants us to pray that we would know our place. You can't fit in somewhere if you don't know where you fit. So if he's praying that we would know the hope of his calling, God's got something specific and unique for you. It's specific and unique and different from anything that he has for the rest of us to do. Now we can certainly all walk in the blessings of God, the things that Jesus obtained for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And Paul certainly identifies some of those things. Like, for example, he wrote to to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Well, those are the general things that belong to all of us. That's God's plan of redemption. That's God's righteousness that's been imparted to us. In fact, just as he made Jesus to be sin, he made us righteous. But that righteousness can't just be the hope of his calling here. Or if it was, why wouldn't Paul just say that he wants us to understand what his righteousness is all about? No, it's something specific. It's something unique everybody has a specific thing and a specific place to be so he's praying that they would know the hope of his calling the hope of God's calling what God has called them to and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints now again we know that Jesus died for our sins we know that Jesus paid the price for poverty and we know that he paid the price for sickness and disease because with his stripes we are healed if those were the things that Paul was talking about, if that was the, uh, the extent of the riches of his glory, then why didn't he just tell us what they were? He makes it seem like there's a journey or there's a, a, a discovery process where our eyes are being opened maybe a little bit at a time so that we would realize what these things are. But if it was the same for everybody, Paul would have, and the Holy Ghost would have inspired him to do this just identify what it was. God's not trying to keep us in the dark. He's trying to get us to put the word of God in such a place first and foremost in our lives so that we see and understand these things that God has planned for us. So the riches of his, the glory of his inheritance in the saints has to be some special gifting that each one of us have that's unique from each other. It's got to be something more than just the generic plan of redemption And I hate to say it like that because it sounds like I'm I'm speaking disparagingly of it or or de-emphasizing it. And that certainly would not be appropriate. There's nothing more important than God's plan of redemption. But here Paul seems to be, and again inspired by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost seems to be telling us through the Apostle Paul that there's something that we need to find out that belongs to us as individuals. Something that might be different from what anybody else has as a part of the riches of his glory the glory of his inheritance and then the third thing he prays for us is that we would understand the power of God that works in us the power of God that works in us the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ and raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Notice that power is connected with the resurrection. Notice the power that works in us is resurrection power. It's power that belongs to us as a result of what Jesus did in bearing our sins upon himself and redeeming us from the, the curse of the law. And notice in each one of those things, he's not praying that we would have anything more than what we already have. And folks, that's the real, the, the real main point, I think, that, uh, that has escaped most of the church world. But if you understand what God has for you to do, if you understand what he's equipped you with in order to enable you to do whatever he has for you to do, and if you know the power of the resurrection that already resides and abides in you, then what more would you and I need? These are all encompassing prayers. I know in the Old Testament, you hear people sometimes quote things from the Old Testament, like when David said, I'll look to the hills from whence cometh my help. Well, folks, our help doesn't come from the hills anymore. That may have been appropriate to say under the Old Covenant, but we've got the power of God living on the inside of us. If you're looking for help from the outside in any respect, you're looking in the wrong place. This is talking about the power that resides in us. It's talking about God's plan for us as his children. He's talking about God's unique plan and the unique gifts he's given each one of us to stand in whatever place he has ordained for us to be. This is not talking about looking from uh, looking to the outside in any respect whatsoever. Now wouldn't it be silly for the Holy Ghost to to make it seem that everything we need is already inside of us just waiting to be tapped into waiting for us to come to the understanding of what we have so that we can then use it. Wouldn't that be silly for the Holy Ghost to give us that kind of information if there was still anything or at any time we needed something from the outside to complete us. But instead the Bible says we are complete in Him. Now, if we are complete in him, or let's say it this way, how can we be complete in him if we're lacking anything? See, complete means finished. Just as much as Jesus sat down at the right hand of God because the work was done, in the same way, you've been raised up together with him, you've been seated in heavenly places in him, so what more could we need? It wouldn't be right for Jesus to be sitting at the right hand of God if there was still something else to be done. Wouldn't be right for us to have a positional seating with him at the right hand of the Father being raised up just as he was if there was ever going to be anything more than what we already have on the inside of us. Look again at chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 14, for this cause, I bow my knees unto the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Now I want you to notice again, verse 16. Paul is praying by the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Ghost is praying through Paul, whichever way you want to say it, that God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now, he's writing to Christians. So, by definition, doesn't that mean Christ already dwells in their hearts by faith? See, he's not talking about salvation. He's writing to people that are saved. And so, when he's writing about being quickened or strengthened by the Holy Ghost in the inner man. That would be strengthened with might by his spirit, wouldn't it? He's talking about a a function or an operation of the Holy Ghost. So he's praying that God would grant, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by the inner man, for the purpose of Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. Now, I see spiritual development in that. He's got to be talking about developing or growing in spirit. Because if that was something that was done and accomplished once and for all at the new birth, then what's the Holy Ghost giving in the prayer to pray for? That would be an unnecessary prayer, an inappropriate prayer if we already received all that we would have that qualifies or is described by Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. But instead I see spiritual development I see him talking about growing in the Word, growing in the knowledge of the Word concerning who we are and what we have so that we would be strengthened with might, so that we would be aware of that power, same resurrection power, so that Christ could dwell in our hearts by faith, so that we could be rooted and grounded in love. Now, the Bible says in Romans 5:5 that the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost at the new birth. Well, if the Holy Ghost is shed abroad in our heart, if we already have that love of God by the Holy Ghost, then why do we need to be rooted and grounded in love to comprehend the, the love of Christ? He's got to be talking about growth. He's got to be talking about spiritual development. Now notice he says this. He says that if w- once we come to the place where we're strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, and I believe that's a growth process. I don't believe that any of us ever arrive at that but we can grow in it to the end that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith and that our being rooted and grounded in love would be able, would enable us to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Notice this last phrase that you might be filled with the fullness of God, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. The Holy spirit's telling us to the apostle Paul, That the work of spiritual development, the growth in God, the growth in the knowledge of his word brings us to a place where we can be so full, so full with the things of God that when people look at us, they'd see Jesus. I see the same thing when Jesus is talking to his disciples in John chapter 14, when he said, the works that I do shall you do also. Well, we'd have to be filled with the fullness of God to do that, wouldn't we? certainly isn't anything that we would be able to do on our own. So he's talking about growth and development through revelation, through coming to the knowledge of the truth. The revelation that would pierce through the veil of the flesh to make known or to reveal spiritual realities to us. That's what God wants us to see. That's what God wants us to have. And this, again, this is not something that would ever come from the outside. He's talking about taking advantage and drawing on the things that we already have inside of us. That's where the Holy Ghost lives, isn't it? He lives on the inside of us. And these are works of the Holy Ghost that the Holy Ghost is telling us to pray for and to hold fast to. He wants us to be aware that God wants us to know what our place is in his family. He wants us to be aware of what gifts And abilities have been given to us to stand in that place. He wants us to know the power, the same resurrection power, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. He wants us to know the exceeding greatness of that power on the inside of us so that we can walk by faith, so that Christ can dwell in our hearts by faith, so that we can be rooted and grounded in love and comprehend the fullness, the four-dimensional love of God. Now, folks, we can't relate to that because the only thing we're aware of or or, uh, have knowledge of is something that's three-dimensional. How can something be four-dimensional? I think Paul is, by, by the Holy Ghost, telling us that it's greater, the love of God is greater in every respect than anything that we could imagine or know from this natural and physical realm. But when we come to that knowledge, when we come to that place where we're growing in God, where Christ is dwelling in our heart by faith. And we know the love of Christ. That's what he says causes us to be filled with the fullness of God. Brother Hagan, in the first church that he pastored, he was, uh, I think he was 19 years old when he began to pastor that church. And he said that he had been there for less than a year and uh, he had gotten to know the people somewhat. And he saw that there were things that were, people were dealing with in their lives that he was genuinely trying to help them and get them the victory over whatever it was they were facing. So he said that he started, he prayed about it and came up with the idea. He didn't say it was God's idea. But he came up with the idea to have deliverance services. So these Deliverance services, he began to have them once a week. I think it was on Sunday night or maybe it was Saturday night that he began to have these services, special services for the people. And he said the, the services were well received. Everybody got excited about it. It was a kind of a shot in the arm for the church. New life, new something to do. And so over the space of about three months, He said people came most of them were his own people their own church people but they came to this uh, Saturday night services to get delivered and he called them deliverance meetings. He said we had every kind of manifestation you could imagine and a lot that you probably shouldn't think of. He said some of it was God some of it was the devil and some of it was just flesh but after about three months the newness the novelty wore off but he still wanted to help the people all that he could. So instead of having these deliverance services, he shifted over and started having get-set-free services. He said, I found that the same people that came to get delivered came to get set free. And after about three months, that, those kind of ran its course, and people got tired of those. So he started the third time, same Saturday night services, but he started calling them loosening meetings. So he said, I found that the same people that came to get delivered came back to get set free, and then they came to get loosened. And, and he was honest and sincere about it. He saw that this wasn't working. As I said, most of these were his own people, so he got to know his own people, and he saw that the things they got delivered from, that deliverance didn't last, and that's why they came back to get set free. And then that didn't last for him either, so that's why they came back to get loosened. So he went to prayer about it and fasted for a couple of days over it, and he was asking the Lord. He said, Lord, this isn't working. What are we doing wrong? What do we need to do? And the Lord told him two things. He said, well, first of all, you're trying to do through prayer what only my word can do. He said, secondly, you're trying to do it for them instead of them doing it for themselves. And then he said this. He said, the only thing that can make a lasting change in somebody's life is to be taught the word of God. Anything and everything else, no matter how much excitement is attached to it or how Encouraged people are by the services or how much they may be helped temporarily by prayer. The Word of God is the only thing that makes a lasting change in their lives. So the Lord began to tell Brother Hagan, or just flat out told him, start teaching them the truth. Well, that implied that he wasn't teaching them the truth. And so Brother Hagan said that the Lord led him to these prayers in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. He said he had lay his Bible on the altar, his study was in the uh, uh, in the church and it was right next door to where the parsonage was so he said i'm going in and out of the church building probably six or seven times a day he said every time i'd pass my bible that was open there on the altar to ephesians 1 i'd stop kneel down and pray these prayers and and tell the lord before he started now lord i'm praying these prayers for me because i need revelation about what you want me to do and how you want me to pastor this church and, and conduct myself and so he said over a period of several weeks revelation began to come so much so that he asked his wife what in the world have i been preaching but that's where the revelations began for him as a result of praying these prayers Do you remember in john chapter 8 verse 30 31 and 32 Jesus is talking, well, let's read it rather than just refer to it or, or quote it. Let's read it. Verse 31, John chapter 8, verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Now, folks, you know the next verse. Most everybody knows the next verse, but let's stop and talk about verse 31 for a second. Jesus is making a distinction between the believers and disciples. This is a very, very important point, in my opinion. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Well, isn't that what we're supposed to do is believe on him? The Bible says that's the command of the new covenant, to believe on God the Father and and Jesus whom he has sent to the earth. Well, they do believe on him. But notice there's going to be a difference, and here's what makes the difference between believers and disciples. Remember in the, uh, uh, the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says to his disciples, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and preach the gospel. That literally says or literally means make disciples. We've turned evangelism into conversion experiences we we have emphasized we mean the church world has emphasized evangelism just to the point of getting saved but that's just the beginning point jesus told his disciples to go make disciples themselves reproduce themselves in others now how can you do that well jesus said to the jews that believed on him if you continue in my word then are you my disciples indeed Now continuing in his word brings us right back to Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3, doesn't it? Spiritual development will bring us to the place where our eyes are open to see what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power that works in us in believers. It'll bring us to the place where we're strengthened with might by the Spirit of God so that Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. So that we being rooted and grounded in love may comprehend what is the length and depth and breadth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. It all goes back to the word. And that's what the Lord was telling Brother Hagen. You're trying to do through prayer what only my word will do. And you can't do it for somebody else. Everybody has to make their own decisions and put in their own work concerning the word of God. Renew their mind to the truth of the word so that they can begin to walk in the things, grow and develop and walk in the things that God has prepared for you individually as a member of his family. So again, John chapter 8, then said Jesus to the Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And after you continue in the word, then you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Brother Hagin used to talk about the difference in prayer and and the word by identifying prayer is like breathing, and the word is like eating. Well, we have a scriptural precedent for that. Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, breathing and eating are both important to sustaining life, aren't they? And as important as breathing is, it can't take the place of eating. But right on the other hand, if eating takes the place of breathing, after a while that won't work either. You need both. So we're not speaking, speaking disparagingly of prayer in any way whatsoever, but even prayer, if it's by, by itself, separated and apart from the word, is very limited in the results that it can bring. Now, if we look at those prayers from this angle, those prayers in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3, if we look at them from a big picture standpoint and we consider that those prayers are to grow us to the place where we know who we are and what we have from God and what power already resides in us. If we look at it like that, these are prayers of authority. These are prayers that bring us, through spiritual growth and development, to the exercise of authority. Now, how many Christians do you know in the body of Christ, just in our own country? I'm sure we're more familiar with how things work here in America than anywhere else. But how much of the American church, the modern-day American church, knows anything about the authority that the Bible says is ours? You start talking authority in most church circles and they'll call you arrogant and accuse you of speaking heresy because most of the church world, the modern-day church world, just accepts the so-called sovereignty of God idea that whatever God wants you to have, that's the way it'll be, and whatever God wants things to be, that's how it is. But that can't be the case Because if God's will was done independently of mankind. God would just make people get saved all at once. And we'd go to heaven tomorrow and get out of here. But salvation is not dependent on the will of God. God's already made his will known by sending Jesus. The Bible specifically says Paul wrote to Timothy. God would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well if God wants that for all men why didn't it work that way? If God wants it that way, if that's his will, and the Bible couldn't be clearer about his will, then why doesn't that just happen? Because just as Brother Hagin found out from the Lord, he was trying to do for this people what they alone could do only for themselves. So it depends on you. It depends on me. What we receive of God and what spiritual growth and development there is To whatever degree we live up to these prayers, that if they're God-given prayers, if they're given by the Holy Ghost, it has to be the will of God. So these things are exactly in line with God's will and plan and purpose for you and me. God wants you filled with all of his fullness. He wants you to know the exceeding greatness of his power. He wants you to know the extent, the length and depth and breadth and height of the power of God and of the love of God that he has Shattered broad in your heart the seed of god's love that was placed in our heart at the new birth whether that seed is going to grow or not is dependent on you and me he wants these things he wants us to know that we've been raised up together with him far above all principality and power and might and dominion he wants us to know the power of god that's within us he wants us to know the holy ghost is always there on the inside of us to help us he wants these things well if he wants these things why isn't it that way Why isn't the church living up to that? Well, first, it has to be one of two things. Either people don't know or they do know and they're not exercising themselves to attain it. Those are the only possibilities that could be. Now, turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 14. It says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what concord has Christ with Belial? Or what part is he that believeth with an infidel? Now I want you to notice he calls the church several things. He calls the church righteousness. He calls the church light. He calls the church Christ. He calls the church believers and he goes on in verse 16 and what agreement has the temple of God with idols for you are the temple of the living God as God has said I will dwell in them and walk in them I will be their God and they shall be my people. The Bible says that we're the body of Christ. We just read in Ephesians chapter 1 the end of that prayer that God gave Jesus to be the head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now, the church world seems to have no problem whatsoever with accepting the fact that the authority on the earth has been given to Jesus. Jesus said so. Matthew chapter 28, all power, literally that's words authority. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all people. So there's no question that Jesus has been given authority. He attained authority. He stripped the devil. The Bible says he spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly. But most of the church world will stop right there and say, well, yeah, Jesus has the authority, but not us. Well, what possibility is there for any of the works of God to be done here on the earth? with Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. Wouldn't it be silly to have newborn parents? Here's a couple that just had a baby. We go to the hospital and see the baby, and we're excited for them, and we ask, what did you decide to name him?" And they say, well, we're going to call his head Bill, but we were going to call his body John. Wouldn't that be silly? The head and the body are one. And because of the authority that Jesus has attained, obtained through defeating the works of the devil, since Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father, any authority that he exercises or utilizes here on the earth has to come through the body. Because remember, man is the one that's been given authority and dominion on the earth. Well, Jesus is a man, but he's not on the earth. So the only way that any authority or any... Exercise of power of God could take place. Has to be through the body that's been left here. And that was the transfer of of authority or the delegation of authority. When Jesus says, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. Jesus is saying, I'll take care of things in heaven. You take care of the things on the earth. And that's why he told the disciples before he went to the cross. The works that I do shall you do also. And even greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. Folks, I, I firmly believe, and the more I grow in God, the more convinced I am of this. The development in spirit, spiritual development, is of primary importance. Therefore, we can say since spiritual development only comes through the Word, the knowledge of the Word is the first and foremost and most important thing that we can partake of and certainly the most important thing that we should pursue here on the earth. Because when we read these verses of Scripture, Paul doesn't put any qualification on it whatsoever. By that I mean Paul doesn't say, now I know that most of you will never live up to this, but for those that are especially called of God, especially important for the work of God here on the earth, there's going to be a small, 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 tiny percentage of people that will grow in the knowledge of God or grow to understand the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance and the exceeding greatness of his power. The Holy Ghost is impressing on Paul to pray this because it's God's will for everybody to have it. And when this spiritual growth takes place and where our eyes are open more and more, and where the Word of God does pierce this veil of the flesh to reveal spiritual realities, then doing the works of Jesus becomes a simple thing. And it's not just left for the scholars. Look at the power of God working in the early days of the church. You remember the guy that was healed at the beautiful gate in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John looked on him. Obviously they were impressed upon the Holy Ghost this guy's laid daily at the beautiful gate of the temple, which means they pass him day after day after day. Whatever days they go into the temple through that gate, they may go into the temple through different gates at different times. But this implies that story implies in, in Acts chapter three that everybody knew this guy. He's been there daily for a long time. Well, then that begs the question: Why didn't Peter and John do this the first day they ever passed him? Apparently, it was a point. In time where the Holy Ghost prompted them to take action. And so they did. Peter said silver and gold have I none but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise and walk. And immediately the man's ankle bones received strength and he leaping up stood and praised God and glorified God and holding on to him. And you remember that after preaching to the people that were surrounded there. The Bible says 5,000 people got saved as a result of that one God's healing but then they were called before the religious leaders and they stood there and boldness came upon them the spirit of boldness came upon them as they answered the Pharisees the same council that had Jesus crucified just a couple of months before and it says of that that the council started conferring among themselves about what they should do and the Bible says something that's very telling to me It says, when the council perceived that they were ignorant and unlearned men, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Folks, if you've got to pick one or the other, pick Jesus. It'll work short-term and long-term much better than schooling and education. But they took knowledge of the fact that these men didn't have formal training. They didn't have religious training. They hadn't been to any of the, the theological schools. Of Judaism or anything of that sort so this can't be based on education this can't be just based on intelligence the council members recognized that they had more training and more ability even where the old testament is concerned the law and the prophets were concerned than Peter and John but yet it's Peter and John that are doing the miracles what in the world brought them to that place and the miracles they do, they seem so simple. It seems to me, you judge it for yourself, but it seems to me when I read the book of Acts, these things just flowed like water. There's not great angst on anybody's part to get these things to take place. I guess we have to conclude that it was all God and not, not any of them, which is the way it's always supposed to be. But there's no lightning flashes from heaven. There's no thunder in the sky before these things take place. They just simply minister the power of God to them and people are healed. Even to the point of people being raised from the dead. I'm convinced that the more that our eyes are opened, the more these things will flow through us. And through the church in the last days, just the way that they're supposed to. Not because we attain anything, but because we finally get to the point where the flesh doesn't hold us back from doing what our hearts are telling us to do all the time. So the Bible calls us righteousness. The Bible calls us light. The Bible calls us Christ. I wonder if we'll ever come to the place where we accept that the only Jesus many people will ever see is us. Paul prayed that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would be given to the church. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. What does that mean? It means we'll see things from God's standpoint and from God's point of view. And we'll see things as they really are. See, you and I really are righteous. No matter how our flesh may recoil from that idea. No matter how the condemnation of the devil will come against us to say that's not true. It really is true. It really is true. One of the things that Paul prayed for in Ephesians 3 was that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith that he would dwell in our hearts by faith. As we said before, he can't be talking about salvation because they're already saved. But the Bible makes a big deal. says several times, Old Testament and New Testament, about the just living by faith. The just living by faith. Those which have been made righteous live by faith. Well, we know what faith is. If there's any definition we've got down from the Bible about anything, it's got to be faith. Faith is believing with the heart and saying with the mouth. Living by faith is speaking God's word. Not just into situations where we need His help. Not just speaking God's word concerning finances and claiming financial provision. And not just speaking God's word for the healing of our bodies. Nothing wrong with either of those and both of those are are good and, and profitable. But we need to start speaking our faith about other things too. We need to start speaking our faith. If we have trouble, if our heads have trouble accepting the fact that we've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus, then we need to start confessing our righteousness. If uh, if we're faced with fear, then we need to start confessing what the Word says about being free from fear. We need to start utilizing our faith in specific areas. Specific areas of need in our own lives. Now you may need something different than what I need. I may be able to accept one part of who we are in Christ and you're able to accept another part better than I am. But whatever is the situation or the circumstances for us as individuals, we need to start applying our faith to it. Purposefully overcoming the things that hold us back. purposefully attacking those areas of weakness for example if fear is something that we're held in check by isaiah 41 verse 10 is a good fear scripture it says fear not for i am with thee be not dismayed for i am thy god i will strengthen thee i will help thee i will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness so we need to start saying i'm not afraid because you're with me father I'll not be dismayed for you are my God. You help me, you strengthen me, you uphold me with the right hand of your righteousness. Apply your faith into the area that you need it. If accepting the fact that we've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus is a difficult thing for you to accept, then start quoting Romans chapter 5 verse 12, or first, Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 rather. God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Begin to confess that you've been made righteous. Begin to confess what what it took, the blood of Jesus, the sacrificial work of Jesus to bring us into this righteousness, to make us righteous. The just living by faith means a whole lot more than just being ready to withstand attacks of the enemy and utilize our faith, exercise our faith after the problem comes. I think the most successful way we can go about it is to be proactive, to attack the weaknesses that we identify in and of ourselves. Like I said, your weakness may be different than mine. I may be able to accept certain truths of the Bible revealed by the Bible than you are, but you may be able to accept certain other things that are revealed better than me. We need to attack those things. We need to be purposeful about applying and utilizing our faith in whatever area of weakness that we can identify. And you know you. You know where your weakness is. You know what you need. We need to begin to apply the Word of God just as a course of life, a matter of course in our lives not just when we're attacked or when something has to be overcome. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in higher heavenly places. That's where our fight is. Now, how do we fight or how do we engage in that fight? Well, those are all things that come against your mind. Those are all things that work against your mind to keep you from seeing, to keep the revelation of what Jesus has done for you and me from becoming a reality in our, in our lives. But thank God we've been raised up with Jesus and seated in heavenly places far above those principalities and powers, far above the work of the devil. John said it this way, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, You have overcome them, little children, because greater is he that liveth in you than he that's in the world. The ones that he that's in the world is described in the preceding verses as demonic forces, the power of Satan. We've already overcome those things. Boy, if the revelation of being, uh, having already overcome those things becomes a reality in our lives, then the devil's in for a big time. He's in for a big problem. He'll know that you've got his number. But the only way we can receive these things, again, people take the modern day world, modern world day church takes the position that if those things are true and that's what God wants things to be like, then that's the way they'll be. But there's nothing that we receive from God other than by faith. Faith is the means, faith is the vehicle, faith is the method whereby we receive anything and everything from God. So it's not just going to happen unless we proactively take the word of God and build it into our own consciousness. But once we do that, then we become filled with the fullness of God. God's got so much more for us than we have ever imagined, both in this world and in the next. Let's do our part in this world first. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. The eyes of our understanding being enlightened that we do know what is the hope of your calling. And we do know the riches of the glory of your inheritance in us as children. And we do know by faith what is the exceeding greatness of your power that works in us the same power that raised Jesus from the dead when you set him at your own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named Father we claim these things we've asked you for these things before so we thank you that these prayers are still having an impact in doing the work in our lives and in our bodies we thank you Father That we are strengthened with might by your spirit in our inner man. That Christ does dwell in our faith. In our hearts by faith. More and more and more. And that we are rooted and grounded in love. So that we're able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and depth and breadth and height. And that we might know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That we might be filled with the fullness of God. So by faith, Father, we declare that we're filled with your fullness. We declare that the word of God is doing a work in our spirits, in our minds, and in our bodies. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God's good, isn't he? Hallelujah. Thanks for being with us.